Efkar, I know you like trivia quizzes. No, so, I do not. Well, I know you like trivia quizzes. So here's a question I have for you, right? Oh, God. Which documentary made in 2001 for TV shares its name with a board game? Documentary? Yeah, documentary. 2001? Correct. For TV? Correct. British TV? Yeah, I believe so. It's probably, maybe British and American. Can but... I ask questions about this? Yes. Is it a space documentary? No. Is it a nature documentary? No. Does it have David Attenborough in it? It doesn't. Does it have Tony Robinson in it? It doesn't, no. So it's not Time Team the board game? It, or like a Robin Hood type, no, no. Okay. Um, shares its name with a board game? Yeah. Is the board game also from 2001? Is it an older board game? It's a slightly, it's not 2001 board game, but it's, a, yeah, it's not like this year, no. Oh, obviously not. Okay. It's nothing to do with the board game. The The board game and the documentary have entirely different um, genres. Hansa Teutonica? No. Uh. Uh, do you want a clue? Yes. Uh, it's to do with music. The documentary is to do with music. Is it Lacrimosa? No. No, but I like where you're going with that. Uh, no, think of music not quite that far back in the past. Newer music, but not new, new music. S Club 7. Not n- No, I would count that as new, new music, <laughs> <laughs> to be frank, honestly. No, further back in the past than that. Bananarama. No, but you're getting somewhere with that. Wow, I am... What? Sorry, I is am, that, sorry, I is am there just a game? picking the most random stuff. <laughs> And every time I do, you say, yeah, actually, it's pretty close. I, I want to know, I wanna know what the game Bananarama is about, though. I'm excited to learn. I'm not sure that I do. Wait, I still have to guess, don't I? There's banana grams, I guess. That's a banana. Banana-themed board game. But it's, it's nothing to do with bananas. I was going to say Bonanza. Oh, <laughs> that's a TV show as well. That's true, so, right? You know, yeah. Is, yeah, it's like... Oh, I tell you what, it's also the name of an album at the same time. Music album and a documentary. They went hand in hand. Dark Side of the Moon. No, no that's... There is a documentary called Dark Side of the Moon. I is there think. a board game called no. Dark Side Wait, of the Moon? There's this something Dark Side to do with... Um, what's the German director that got shot with Kerm- Mark Kermode in him? In the what? There's a direct German director who got shot whilst he was being interviewed by Mark Kermode. Really? Yeah, what's his name? Oh, heck, I don't know. Uh, that's terrifying, though. Was no, he, right? he went, oh, that's nothing. It's just a flesh wound or something like that. It is but a flesh wound. Li- he literally said something like that. What's his name? Bernard Herzog. There we go. Uh, I, I give up. I don't know what this is. Do you want me to tell you now or shall I... Shall I uh, tease it for the rest of the podcast? Oh, my God. See, I know the (laughs) correct answer is tease it for the rest of the podcast. But but because that's the entertainment, right? Is it? I, is that I, is that, oh, that's going to make people switch off, isn't it? They they, they tune in to find out the answer of some excellent trivia, and then they don't find it out, and they go, "Oh, I think stuff I think people here are not for trivia. I okay. can guarantee that." Okay, then <laughs> probably just as well. <laughs> yes, tease it out. I think All that right, would then. be the correct choice. Okay, I'll tell as you. As much the end. as I'll hate it. <laughs>
Welcome to Talk Cardboard, a podcast about board games and everything adjacent with your favourite punless cardboardians, Elaine and Efka. On today's show, we'll be talking about Yokai Septet, Star Wars, the deck building game, Great Western Trail, Argentina, and our first impressions of Aeon Trespass Odyssey, as well as reading out correspondence from you lovely people. What a wonderful lineup. I can, just spoiling everything, going to say every one of these games is at least good. Well, they don't need to listen to the rest of the podcast. Well, but no, see, there's many caveats here, (laughs) right? These games are definitely not for everyone. Most of these, no, actually, all of these games are definitely not for everyone. Mm -hmm. But but I think all of them are Are pretty good. In the yeah, they are for someone. Uh. So uh, very likely your wallet gonna hurt. A small to large amount just from listening the podcast. Let's talk about some of the correspondence that we've had from the previous podcast. We've had an email from Mark. They say, pedal to the metal must be an American idiom as it's pretty common here. I'm I'm sure I think they must live in America somewhere. OED says it's got popular in the US in the 70s, but originated in the 50s which would also work with Heat's theme of 60s racing. Carpeted floors are a fairly recent development. In the 70s, you could buy a car without carpet. You're looking at me as if I should have some sort of a response. I said in the previous episode, I have no affinity for cars whatsoever. Okay. It's, I'm, I'm right. a carless person. I, I enjoy <laughs> I enjoy being taken somewhere fast. Uh, and How by fast? fast? No, by fast, I mean faster than by walking on foot. I see. Or... Pedaling on a bicycle. I see. Yeah. So in the bus is fine as well. Yeah, it'll yeah. do. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I, buses are annoying because they smell, obviously, <laughs> and and they don't get you there as fast as a car does. But also, they're a lot more environmentally efficient. So um, there is that. I want to make a shout out to Nottingham buses because they are excellent in my experience. Okay. That's okay. We also had a Twitter from Matilda of Milda Matilda Games. She says, Hey there, glad you enjoyed turncoats. And since you were curious, Milda is not a first name. It's the Swedish word for gentle or kind. At the same time, Milda Matilda is an expression you'd use in the same way as good heavens, which I think is pretty funny. I think we had a lot of emails and correspondences from Sweden informing us what actually Milda Matilda means. And to all of you, I say thank you very mm. much. Uh, but we've done a learn, and everyone with us have done we a have. learn. And from now on, we can all, all Cardboardians who listen, all present talk cardboard, can merrily exclaim, Milda Matilda! So there you go. Unless she's in the room, and then that would be confusing, because then she would look round, maybe. Oh, do you mean do you mean the actual Matilda? Yes. All oh, right, okay. Yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't it, it's like when people say, but, get in... A lane or something, and I turn around like what, you know, when it says on the motorway or something, get in a lane. Yeah, and I what? Because um, that's get my in name. A lane. Yeah, get in. We also had an email from Endra. They say on your review of Votes for Women, you mentioned how war games were not a genre you guys had particular interest in. Given that Undaunted was so well received by NPI, it's clearly not an issue of subject matter. Since there's a variety of subgenres and gameplays in that niche, could you speak a little about what it is that turns you off? And is this related to your previous mention of being tired of tactical slash skirmish board games overall? I don't think I'm tired of tactical slash skirmish board games overall. I I think there are certain designs within tactical slash skirmish board games that... 
I I I feel are dated and and maybe not very particularly interesting. It's not a matter of exhaustion for me. It, it's more like I, I I'm sort of done with the beer and pretzels. I want to see you know a little bit more now. Uh, and I and I think w- one of the things that uh, we've recently reviewed uh, Hoplomachus Victorum on uh, YouTube channel, no pun included, and and we had some uh, some very spirited discussion around that game. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of people wrote in and said or commented, "This is so not for me. I don't care about this overproduced value or this convolution or whatever." And a lot of people were a little bit peeved, like. Uh, but but there was clearly this sort of semblance of like, oh, but why don't you like this? Or why don't you like that? Don't you see how this game is tactically like really clever? And I'm like, no, what? No. my point was that no, it's not, right? And the reason it isn't, and this relates to the question, right? Although in a tangential way, I recognize that, is that uh, a lot of the game uh, is is a lot of these abilities, but but it's like, you know, there's arena, you roll some dice, you move some units, right? And and what's built around that is just clutter, you know? It's it's craft. It's it's <laughs> uh it, in and in war games you have a similar problem where it's not necessarily always craft, but it's chrome. And, and also I think a lot of war games for me, um I, I don't have a particular interest in it because I don't necessarily have an interest in the subject matter. And when a game works so hard to simulate a particular environment within its rules, I have to be interested in what it's presenting. And also, on top of that, because it is a historical simulation and not just any simulation, I'm a little bit wary of who's telling that story because simulation is is a storytelling tool here. It's not just like, oh, play acting, and also it is play acting, but it's also like a tool for saying like, hey, this is maybe what happened. And 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 I think I would need like when I play a board game, I can somewhat detach myself from who the board game designer is, right? Like if I play a very abstract, you know, game by Reiner Knizia, I don't need to know Reiner Knizia's political views on the Iraq War, right? <laughs> it's like I'm okay, I'll be fine, right? But but if I play a historical war game about the Iraq war, I'm like, well, what is it trying to say? Who's trying to say this? What point are they trying to make? It feels really heady. And I can appreciate why people do enjoy that. But but for me, it's like I, I have to invest a lot of myself and, and, and deal with that craft and that chrome. And, and then I, I'm not sure... I, I'm, I won't be sure about how I feel about the message overall. Maybe, maybe it's an interesting message. Maybe maybe it's a misguided message. I don't know. There's a lot of buy-in that I have to apply if I'm going to invest my time and energy into a war game. And the result is more nebulous because uh, I, think, I think I'd be more interested if there was more media within the historical wargaming sphere that dealt more with talking about the subject matter and what how the game approaches the subject matter and what it is trying to say i think i'd be more keen to try them then because at least i'll be wading into more familiar ground does that make sense Mm -hmm. there was some discussion about canvas as well some people saying that uh, there is a way to play it 
And uh, Kazak says, Canvas, for me, it's kind of an RPG game. Every criticism is on point. But when you put a completed piece on display, it's important to adopt an arrogant artist attitude while explaining the piece. Suddenly the game went from fine to rather amusing. And Brad says, sounds like modern art where half the fun is role-playing a shady art dealer. Well, I'm glad modern art was invoked in this comparison, but... But I think I'd just rather play more than art because <laughs> because both of these games I appreciate in slightly different ways because mm. you you sort of compose the image in, in canvas whereas in modern art you're just trading it. But I think that's a more interesting role playing element mm. than it is in canvas. And also the gameplay of modern art is significantly more lively yes. and interactive than it There's is. There's a in bit canvas. more to it. Mm. Yeah, uh, and I guess maybe that is a point of preference. But for me, the preference definitely leans very hard on modern art. Our first game is Yokai Septet. Yokai Septet comes from publisher Ninja Star Games by designer Manayuki Yokouchi and illustrator Yu. Not me. That's just the letter U, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, I am very sad that you did not actually get to play Yokai Septet because mm. it is rather excellent. Um, so following on from our discussion of Scout, uh, this is a trick-taking game. And trick-taking games you'll be familiar with if you ever played Hearts, Euchre, Bridge, Durak. Um, there's a bunch of others that are... The crew. The crew, yes. Uh, that are in schnapps and, you know, there's, there's a whole different regional favorites uh, and also modern reinventions. So... Yokai Septet comes from Japan, which I believe has very strong trick-taking tradition, design traditions, and a lot of innovation in the genre comes from there these days. Um, this is just one of these games that I think has the potential to show a lot of the interesting sides of trick-taking games to people who've never played a trick-taking game, although it is a little bit more mathy and involved than your usual fare. And it's also a pretty good game for people who do like trick-taking games because it has a lot of very interesting spins on the formula. So this was originally published in 2016 in Japan, where it has become somewhat of a favorite and recently has made its way over here. Um, I've learned about this from uh, Before You Play, uh, Monique and Naveen, mm -hmm. uh, the members of Watch It Play and also have their own YouTube channel. Uh, and because a while ago they put out a video where they were quite effusive about it. Uh, and I'm like, I'm going to try this out because it was on Kickstarter at the time. So just delivered a couple of months ago and I finally had a chance to play it. And then I played it and I couldn't stop thinking about it because I was like, there's, there's a lot going on. And, and it's one of those games where my first game was like, I was like, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing. And then the second game, I'm like, oh, this is very clever. So, Yokai Septed is a four or three player game. Primarily, I think it will be played as a four player game because it is in its main mode, a team game. As in you pair up with one person and then the other two people are also in a pair. Uh, and it has a lot of the trick taking staples. So... Each round, every player plays one card. There are different suits. There are, in fact, seven suits, because Septet. Yeah. Um, and uh, let's say I play a blue card, and then everyone 
in in the circle has to also play a card to the table and then uh, if I led with a blue card they, and they have a blue card in their hand, they also have to play a blue card and the highest blue card played wins the suit uh, at the trick um, and and they get to keep it. Now, the, the normal twist in these games is that winning a trick is good or winning a trick is bad. Ask me, Elaine, uh, is winning a trick good in Yokai Septet? Is winning a trick good in Yokai Septet? I don't know. It depends, Elaine, on your current situation. <laughs> so you can see that that immediately introduces a vagary. So uh, one of the important factors in Yokai Septet is any card that has a seven on it, right? So sevens are very good. In fact, the Kickstarter version came with the sevens as foils just to sort of separate Ooh. them out from the other cards so it's like that that shiny card that's special right yeah because i made a joke that you'd got the like rare one yeah yeah well it, it is kind of sort of like a rare one because you want to get the seven if you win a trick with a seven in it that's good if you win a trick without a seven in it that's bad oh right mm. so a lot of the game and because this is a team game so you win as a team you lose as a team mm. right but you can't communicate about what cards you have in your hand right so it's a lot about sussing out which sevens and there are seven sevens because seven suits right which sevens your opponent has which sevens you have uh, which seven does your partner have right and how do you lead tricks in a way that Someone plays a seven and then you get to take it or your partner gets to take it, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's very nifty in that way. Now, add to that, that at the beginning of every round, you pass free cards to your partner and your partner passes free cards to you. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you're just sort of um, changing up your hand, but you're also passing information yes. because you can't talk normally. So you're like, you're saying something with the cards that you are giving to your partner. Now, here's the final twist mm -hmm. in this sort of system, is that the sevens are not actually equal in value, in more ways than one even, right? Because the suits start and end at different values. So uh, a green suit will start with an A and then end on the seven, right? Mm -hmm. But then let's say the blue suit will... I can't remember what they actually start with an A. Yeah, which is already <laughs> like you can see there are so many wrinkles in this game, right? Uh, and and let's say I this might not be true, but like a blue suit will start on a four and then end on a higher card like twelve or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. So the ranges are completely different. So where the seven seat sits within each suit is also different. And then you have things like the A card, which again just trumps anything. Doesn't matter. You play the A, you win the trick, right? Mm. Um, and then each seven will score you points, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and the amount of points it scores depends on what suit it's from. So again, there's even more variability. So some sevens don't even score you points. But the idea is that you win the round and score points, your team, right? If between the tricks that you have you have four sevens. Mm -hmm. However, if you take seven tricks and you have three or less sevens, you lose the round. Mm. And then the other team gets to fish out all the sevens from your <laughs> hand and also the sevens it already won and score points from those. Mm -hmm. So there's just so much going on. And 
And I think one of the things that is really appealing about Yokai Septet is that it's one of these like great partnership games, right? The information matters a lot, mm-hmm. much like in Hearts, when you pass something, you know, what you pass and get back tells something about your opponent's hands, your hands, but here you're not passing to an opponent, you're passing to to a partner, right? Yeah. So you're communicating. Member, yeah. yeah. And also in in a lot of ways, it is it is a game that's easier to than teach you. It's easier than bridge. And these are the two premier partnership games and trick-taking games. So it's got a lot going for it. And I really, really like it. I will say that, first of all, the things that do let it down a little bit are that hey, it's a trick-taking game, so it comes with all the foibles of trick-taking games. Mm-hmm. If you know you don't like those, you won't like this. Uh, but it's also quite a bit meatier and a lot more going on in it. It's not hard to teach. It's not hard to explain. But it is hard to master. And it's one of those games that you can feel like, oh, you know what? I, I do. I, I could get really invested into this. Yeah. I see so many different varying paths, you know? Like, for example, uh, winning a green seven nets you no points, but it gets you closer towards that. And... and there's so much going on and and so much you can navigate you it's one of those games that you feel you could get really really good at of course you need three other people who mm-hmm. are equally invested to mm-hmm. get really really good into it right um it might be a little bit hard to find at the moment but i think there is a reprint coming did you say it was a new game so originally published in 2016 in japan but new edition fairly new okay Right. I just wondered because are there like tour- the way you were saying about you could get really good at it? Are there kind of tournaments? Or- I think in Japan there are. Yes. Right. I th- I think I I think this game has been quite a hit. It lends itself yeah. to that kind of play. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm. Um, but it's also fun because this is okay. So this is the final thing I'll say about Yoko Septet. Every unlike in other trick taking games where you play a trick and you know the trick is over and you go hmm right Mm -hmm. here you play a trick and you go wow i can't believe that happened (laughs) right like someone played a seven or we fished it out from you know like some something always happens even if you know let's say everyone plays a card someone wins a trick and and it seems like almost nothing happened but it did because you just forced a team to take a trick without a seven Mm. there's a constant change of the dynamic Mm -hmm. trick after trick after trick it's engaging at every step right how long does it take to play um so it, it depends because you play to seven points again seven right <laughs> uh it, it can go a while because we've we've played rounds where a team has scored two points we have played rounds where a team has scored five points mm-hmm. so it could be a two-round game right it could be like a three four Five round game. Depends. So it's variable. No more than half an hour, I imagine. I was really hoping you were going to talk about the uh, rule book and how good it was because I have a nice segue into some comments that we've had about rule books. Elaine, yeah. the rule book for Yokai Septet is very good and explains <laughs> the game very nicely. <laughs> Thank you. Still to come, we have Great Western Trail Argentina and our first impressions of Aeon Trespass Odyssey, as well as some of your correspondence. But first, as I was saying, we do have a couple of comments on the subject of rule books. Thank you for the segue, Efka. Richard wants to talk about why they should matter, why they don't seem to matter, and which companies are the worst. And Windstorm H asks, 
what complex games have the most understandable slash easier to learn rulebooks and what features make them easy to understand? Well, this is obviously going to be preaching to the choir because <laughs> I harp a lot about rulebooks. Uh, I think they're just important because it's the, it's the first barrier. I, mm. I'll never forget my, I think it was my first convention, big convention, and I ended up at a sort of an industry gathering where I didn't know anyone, but there were a couple of people whose names and faces even I definitely recognized. So they, they weren't no one. Mm -hmm. And they had some conversations about rule books. Like, ah, oh, you know, like uh, we've done research. 90% of people are not influenced by, by rule books in their purchasing decisions of a board game. So, you know, don't worry about it. And that was a conversation they had between each other. And I was like... <laughs> uh, that illuminated very clearly to me uh, publisher attitudes towards rule books. Mm -hmm. They need to be done because they have to be there, but like, you know, don't worry too much about it. And not every publisher is like this. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of publishers put a lot of time and effort into tackling this barrier, right? Yes. Because Because it is a barrier. It is. Sure, it's not a barrier towards a purchase, but it is a barrier towards play. And I realized then and there that one of my roles as a reviewer, which, you know, usually people will listen to board game reviews for two different reasons, validate their opinion or, or, or you know, find something to argue about or, or um, you know, should I buy this? Mm. I realized then that what my job is 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 to mention whether rulebook is is good or or if it's bad, right? Yes. More specifically, if it's bad, yes. Because oftentimes, if the if the rulebook is fine, I will just gloss over that subject. But if it is very good or very bad, mm. I feel like I should mention that because some people just don't want that. Right. Some people don't care because they get told games by their friends or whoever buys the game or whatever. But some people who buy games and frequently teach games, a rule book is the first barrier for of them course, yeah. towards towards that experience. Because, the, you know, as someone who plays a lot of games and learns a lot of games, I get a lot of fatigue from just like, you know, knowing that a rule book is bad and and. It's definitely off-putting when you open yeah. a rule book and, and it, it's not good. And you think, oh, no, I have another 20 pages of this nonsense. Yeah. And, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak very pragmatically. Mm. I, think, I think I know what Richard wants me to say. But what I'm going to say <laughs> is that if you're a publisher and you're listening to this and you're thinking, eh, rule book, you know, it doesn't influence purchasing decisions. Yes, okay, true. But what it does influence is how much people are going to talk about your game. Mm. Because if a rule book is hard to get through, less people are going to actually experience that game. And less people are going to show that game to their friends. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, less, less people are going to get to engage with your game. I, I feel like, for me, a rule book is one of those... I don't want to say unsung hero, because that's quite trite, but unsung heroes. It's it's like when you have music or B-roll in a film, mm -hmm. right? And I know I've said this about doing B-roll in the past. Um, when you have music or, or B-roll in a film, if it's good, you almost don't notice it, yeah. right? Because it just flows along with the, the film, right? But mm -hmm. if it's bad, 
it's so jarring and yeah. it puts you off watching the film. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel the same about rule books. If it's good, I mean, if it's excellent, then it's worth talking about. But if it's just good, then it kind of flies under the radar because you just get on with it and you learn it and, oh, super, I've learned the game. But if it's bad, you don't want to keep reading it. And then you don't want to play the game. And then you, well, then you can't play the game because right. you don't know how. Yeah. That's some excellent analogies there, Elaine. Big fan. <laughs> Thanks, Efka. I think Fantasy Flight Games had the right of it. They never followed through. And it was always hit or miss when it came to their games. You never knew whether you were going to get a good manual or or like a mediocre <laughs> manual. Because they had this model of the learn-to-play book and then the glossary book, mm-hmm. right? For me, what the problem was, was that the glossary had rules that the learn-to-play manual didn't. Mm-hmm. And it would be fine if the learn-to-play manual would alert you to that fact and where to look for the missing rules. If at the end of it, there was a thing that said, okay, here's the learn-to-play. We won't teach you absolutely everything, but there are some key critical rules that you should look up pages this, this, that, that, under these headings or whatever, right? Um, because... Because there were definitely instances in forgotten, fan, forgotten fantasy flight games, rule books, forgotten fantasy flight games. We'll get to that later during the <laughs> Star Wars the deck building segment, um, where where I, I I read the glossary and I, and I was like, wait a minute, this play this game plays differently than I thought. What's up with that, mm. right? And and you learn some critical details that you there's a very good chance you would have omitted for quite a few games. Until you looked something up and went, oh, this is different, you know. Um, but yeah, I think I think that was the right way for big, complicated games. Something we'll discuss more in our segment where we cover our first impressions of Aeon Trespass Odyssey. Yes, because that had a large rule book. Oh my. <laughs> it had a novel in the, in the box. Oh my. And there were lots of words on the pages. Oh, my. Now, Africa, I've just realised I don't actually have a an introduction for this next game. Oh, no. But, but what, oh, I'm going to do a trivia again. This is the trivia episode, clearly. What if I said to you, you, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, don't forget to use the Green Cross code... Because I won't be there when you cross the road. What game would you think of? Uh, well, judging by the accent, mm-hmm. something to do with hobbits. Oh, no, it wasn't, it wasn't supposed to be hobbits. It's Star Wars the deck building game. Right, okay. It, uh, well, okay, right, should we move on? What was that? <laughs> that, that, was, that was a very bad impression of Dave Prowse doing the Cream Cross Code Man. Right, okay. <laughs> David Prowse, who was mates with your uncle, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. No? no is that embarrassing for you? It's horribly, yeah, horribly yeah. embarrassing. Okay. Yeah, because you say that every time it comes up. It's really embarrassing. Star Wars The Deck Building Game comes from publisher Fantasy Flight Games by designer Caleb Grace and 35 artists listed on Board Game Geek. That's almost too many artists. That's a lot of artists. There's a lot of artwork in this game, though. Well, artwork is one of the things that this game brings. Because Star Wars The Deck Building Game is a new game from Fantasy Flight Games. Do you I remember? Just said that. Do you, I just said that. Do you remember Fantasy Flight Games, Elaine? I do, yeah. Yeah, they were, yeah. They were there for a while. 
<laughs> and and now they released Star Wars the deck building game. Mm. I am not going to be cynical. It okay. would be easy to be very cynical. But as I played Star Wars the deck building game, and I believe many people have noted this already as well, I was like, how is this different from Star Realms? Like, I get the the, the minute changes to the rules. Uh, you know, I thought you were going to say Realms. Star Star Realms, the Star Wars deck building games, or something like yeah. this. Yeah, but it it is just that, isn't it? But I love that game, so. No, yes, you do. I know. <laughs> um, and you really like Star Wars, so. I used to really like Star Wars, and, oh. and until until episode we we went to the midnight premiere of episode nine. And you fell asleep. I did. Oh, it was really late, though. And <laughs> it was the middle of the night. It was like 11 o'clock or something. And I thought to myself, I wish I was asleep. I wish I just would sleep through this and not remember actually having watched that film. Of course, the problem would have been, <laughs> because of my mindset, I would have been like, no, I need to watch this, right? <laughs> And then I would have watched it again and thought, I, w- I wish I hadn't. I wish I just, you know, stayed asleep. Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah. I remember waking up because <laughs> there was some, like, crash or bang or, you know, explosion and going, where am I? What am I doing? What? Why am I here? Why aren't I in bed? You know, like, <laughs> just not knowing what I was doing there. But You didn't I, miss out on much. No, uh, you, that's what you... But you like Andor, so they've... Andor the, was really the good. The franchise I, has redeemed itself. Well, maybe a little bit, yeah. But but that was that was very little to do with the franchise. That was a good show whether you you liked andor yeah i liked andor yeah right and you don't care about star wars not so much no No, right and i think i i just grew up as a kid with star wars i appreciate it as an institution yeah but it's not a big thing that i'm a fan of no okay so i don't like star realms and and i guess why because it's very circular okay um so i'm 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 gonna be generous here and say that a lot of star wars the deck building game is probably going to be appreciated by a lot of people Mm. it's just maybe that one of those people is not going to be me and and i don't see anything particularly wrong with it It, so what is star wars the deck building game well as the title suggests it's a deck building (laughs) game it's a two-player deck building game where one player plays the rebellion and the other one plays the fascists um and Efka. What? They are. They are an allegory for fascism. I'm sorry. It's 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 obvious, right? Mm. Anyway, and and so you, you you play cards with all your favorite Star Wars, isn't it? There's you know that person with the lightsaber, and there's also the one with the blaster, and the one with the you hair. Sound like buns. you don't know what you're talking. Oh, uh, you're doing that on purpose. Yes, I see. I am. The, I am. The hair buns. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. You know, all all your favourites and familiars, you know. Uh-huh. I liked it when Adrian Edmondson was in it. In that sure, film. I don't I don't know who that is. No, okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh so you, you play cards and they will give you either resources so you can buy more cards mm-hmm. or they will give you attack power and the attack power will help you take out your opponent's base, which is what you need to destroy to win. Mm-hmm. And then if if you destroy three bases, you win the game. Yes. Right? It's as simple as that. Um, but your opponent might play uh, ships, capital ships, uh, which need to be destroyed first before you can destroy the base. And then e- each turn you draw five cards from your deck and you play all of them and do all the things on them. They also might have abilities. 
and and some of these abilities are, are quite as they say bonkers mm. uh it, you'll be like oh i can get a card for free and i can put it on top of my deck with leia organa and then uh because i drew this other card that lets me draw the top card from my deck i just drew the card that i purchased and i played it and did other things it, it, it chains off into into like quite what quickly becomes a snowball right and that the is star wars snowball yes and that is absolutely the star realms game yeah. to a t uh the one difference is is that there's now force which is kind of like a tug of war rope if you have force that's good but the cube might move to the other side and then if Just, the cube moves far enough the other player might have yeah. force right so that and and then he'll trigger effects off of certain cards for example, there's a card that says if, if the force is on your side, you get to draw a card. Great. Doesn't it say if the force is with you? Yeah, if the yeah, force is with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. Get the quotes right, Efka. Even I know that. Anyway. Um, I'm so exasperated. I'm just sitting you here really and sighing. Just huffing. Just huffing, right? Um, so, you know, it's fun. I, I will say that when we played this game, and I'm not saying this is anyone's fault, right? <laughs> You're looking at me. <laughs> but 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 With someone was quite asleep. Someone uh, read the someone read the excellent rule book, the very excellent, very clear rule book, and just garbled it in their brain. Yeah, uh, and and I was like, that this person's game, initials are EB. This game is going on for quite a long time. <laughs> And I'm repeating the same card patterns over and over again. That wasn't the game's fault. That was someone who who, who read the win conditions wrong and the game went on for too long. Ah, well, uh, what are you going to do? But, so, it, it, you know, it's exciting. It's slightly brisker than Star Realms. It's, it, it doesn't have as many repetitive cycles, you know, that I just mentioned that were really starting to get to me as I play this. So, so it's fun. It's, it's a nice poodle. The artwork is quite nice i think if you've never played a deck building game this might quite enamor you um i, I think for me again this might be reviewer syndrome here you mm -hmm. know I, I just want a little bit more i mm -hmm. i, I want to see something new something different i also wanted to see something from fantasy flight games that was perhaps a little bit more innovative mm. because they were the company that and i know they're not the same company that you know the name is the same the people have changed i get that right but they're still the people that always led innovation, even a couple of years ago mm. with with the new Descent version. You know, they, they went, actually, you know, what was the old Descent? We're going to do something completely different. We're going to add this 3D terrain. We're going to, you know, integrate this app. They pushed the envelope. Yeah. And, and that was interesting to me. You know, I, I know that the new Descent wasn't for everyone, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. You know, I thought it was... As a game, you could pay, play with, like, uh, your teenagers, you know, mm -hmm. if you have any in the household. Um, or <laughs> You just go out and get them off the street. Come on, teenagers, play this game No, <laughs> no. <laughs> that's, that's how that came across. No. I, I, I mean, your teenagers, <laughs> you know. Um, you keep in your house, your house teenagers. This is, yeah, this is dark and inappropriate. <laughs> But yeah, no, it was it was a good game. It was an interesting game. It did something different. And what I didn't get, again, I realize this is a very personal hang-up, is 
is that innovation that I've come to expect from a game that has the Fantasy Flight Games logo on it, mm. right? This felt highly derivative. Again, I recognize this game will be great for a lot of people. A lot of people are going to just have a nice, fun time, enjoy themselves. It doesn't push the envelope in any way, but cup of tea and a biscuit kind of thing, you know, perfectly good. Um, if you want a deck builder that doesn't do anything fantastic, but is nonetheless fun time, Star Wars the deck building game, even the, even the title... Even the time they couldn't come up with anything better than Star Wars, the deck building game. They might as well called it the Star Wars, you Ooh. know, right? And that that would have been better, I think. I'm sorry, I am a bitter old man, aren't I? Yes, you are a bitter old man, Efka. But I agree. I agree with your points that that it's not particularly innovative because we have seen this almost exact game in Star Realms. But what I do think is that. There's, Sorry, can I interrupt you? Yeah. Does the very excellent rule book attribute Star Realms in any no, way? I didn't read that. But then again, what did I read in the rule book? So I don't think so, no. Just, you know, I, I don't know a lot about the people that published Star Realms, mm. right? But it was... I don't even know who published Star uh, Realms. White Wizard Games, oh, okay. right? It is a much smaller company than, or at least, I don't know what the size of Fantasy Flight Games is now, but... But it just feels like, I don't know, I I get that, you know, this is not the same game. Mm. The card effects are probably different. Although, and the Star Wars themed. And the Star Wars theme. And you have although, the Millennium Falcon. Although I have to say, a lot of the strategic underpinnings I once again recognise from Star Realms. Mm -hmm. Just, there's just something off about that. Something right. iffy. But what I would like to counter that a little bit with is that we sometimes see games come out that are based on an ip that aren't very good or are very very difficult to get into right and one of the things that i hope will get more people into board games is games that are already based on something they enjoy right it's like it's like with books how do you get people to read a book well what do they enjoy oh i enjoy football okay well here's a book about football right, right. and it's that kind of thing and i hope that something like star wars the deck building game even with that terrible name uh people who like star wars will be able to get into this game but star because wars is naff now they're about five years too late it's like releasing game of thrones the board game you know like <laughs> no, no i i disagree because i think star wars is is timeless isn't it isn't it one of I, like you know you're the fan i'm i'm not the fan but i believe that star wars is a pretty important thing still no i don't know I, jj really put a hamper in that i have to say all right yeah it, it it doesn't feel the same anymore. I think to a lot of people, it does not feel the same anymore. And and there's there's that sort of Star Wars fatigue that's that's happening. Okay. The same as with Marvel, okay. you know. Like there is a. I remember five years ago, everyone was like, you know, stop stop talking about Marvel as if it's a bad thing. You know, enjoy enjoy the pop oh, culture. Oh, is that what I'm doing now? The, no, it? no, and no, no, no. I'm just saying that that five years ago that was that was the discourse, and mm. now people are like, ah. Oh, Marvel, hmm, right? You oh, know, right. it feels like the the tide is definitely receding right now, uh -huh. right? For Star Wars, for Star Wars, maybe yeah. it'll come back again. But this I isn't 
I don't feel like this is the moment to release Star Wars the deck building game and get like people invested. No, that's fair into enough. Into deck building that's games. That's fair enough. I I just I think I would like to see more easily approachable games that yeah, are based sorry. on IPs. I, I actually I undermined your point and your point <laughs> is very good. Right, I, I think Thank I think you. I think you bring up a very important point. A lot of IP games, you're very right to say, aren't necessarily very and, and good. Not only are they not necessarily very good, they're not necessarily reflective of what board games can do or can be. Mm-hmm. And I think Star Wars: The Deck Building Game or Star Realms is a good example of of what a deck builder is. Mm. And that and that is one of the things that are in a lot of games. Mm. So I I think that would be a nice place to start if you like Star Wars. I think you're right. Yeah, okay. So if if you're new to games, disregard everything I just said. <laughs> if you like Star Wars, get yourself Star Wars Even the deck building you, game. Even you, when we were looking through the cards, we was going, oh, look, there's Jabba the Hutt, and there's this character, and there's this, oh, there's Princess Leia, oh, she's broken, blah, 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 blah. Like, you were enjoying it. You were getting into it. Yeah, right, <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> Coming up is our first thoughts on Aeon Trespass Odyssey and some more of what you've been saying. But first, we have my favourite game whose subtitle includes the word Pampus. <laughs> it does, on Board Game Geek. I just really like the word Pampus. I, I, I'm sorry, I have to ask. Yeah. Where? On Board Game Geek. But in what context? Uh, like, So if you go onto Board Game Geek, yes. it says like Great Western Trail Argentina and then it has like... Play your cows on the pampas or something like that. Right. Okay. It, it's cool. Yeah. I. But but you mean pampas the tree, not no, pampas the, the oh, diaper the, brand. Yeah, not the nappies. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. true. Great Western Trail, Argentina comes from publisher Egertspiel by designer Alexander Pfister and artist Chris Williams. I want to start off by apologising to Plan B Games. Um, a while ago on Twitter. I had a minor sort of... Because I thought, I sincerely thought no one's going to pay attention, right? To you? Yeah, to me. I'm just being on silly. Twitter. On Twitter, uh-huh. right? Uh, I was just like, why can't I just get a review copy of Great Western Trail Argentina? Because I love Great Western Trail. Oh, you're being a diva. I was being a total diva. Mm. And I really want to I'm apologize. I'm an influencer. Give me things. But Because, right, and I pointed out that the account for Plan B Games has not been active since 2017. Mm-hmm. And, and and then, of course, Alexander Fister saw that and he got in, me in touch with Plan B Games, who have very kindly not only sent me a review copy of Great Western Trail Argentina, but they, they didn't have a review copy. They didn't have copies of Great Western Trail Argentina anymore. So so I, I know that the media person who works there has has worked a little bit to get me a German copy so I get it sooner than whenever the reprint happens. So I, I want to say a very big thank you for uh, getting into my hands a sequel to one of my favorite games, uh, which is Great Western Trail. Um, now... That aside, there has been a lot of ho-hum about Great Western Trail Argentina. And, and the sort of ho-hum that's, that's not like controversial in any way, but more like, mm, you know, that... that Murmurs. Yeah, that, no, that more like, mm, you know, like... <laughs> eh. And I wondered, 
what are you on about? What are you all on about, right? This is the sequel, mm-hmm. right, to to one of the greatest Euro games ever published, right? If it is at least three quarters as good as that, everyone should be celebrating in joy. And, and then I played it. And it is at least three, three quarters. quarters as good. But now I sort of get the whole hum, you know? Um, so if you're not familiar with Great Western Trail, it is an absolutely excellent game of uh, bringing house to the train and getting points for it. Uh, What it is, is a deck builder. But the deck builder, unlike something like Star Wars, the deck building game. It's not solely a deck builder. The deck builder is just there to propel you along through the other mechanisms. And the mechanism is the trail, right? So you have a map of, in in Great Western Trail, you're like in Texas or something, I don't know. Like in the south of America, <laughs> right? Um, and 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 here you are in Argentina, and and the map has various buildings and various passageways through go, but it is basically a circle. You start at one point, you end at this point, then you loop back to the start point and keep going and going and going. The objective is to get the best hand of cards to the end point that will score you the most points. What that looks like is basically the more different types of cows you have, the more money you're going to get because the value on each of these cows um, is going to add up as long as they are different colored cards. So uh, along the way, you have various spots spots where you can discard certain cards for like a bonus or you can spend your resources to build more buildings along the trail so you can activate more powerful effects. You can hire workers, which will potentially score you points or enable uh, you to be better at the different actions in the game, like hiring more workers, buying more cows, buying building more buildings. So it's this puzzle that you're solving. And we've talked about Great Western Trail in a previous, in a legacy podcast episode. You can find those. <laughs> nice. uh, and... Uh, and one of the things that it is incredibly good at is leading you through the game, right? Hmm. So almost I, like a cow on a, on a <laughs> rope. Um, so what you effectively get is is the sort of sense that, like, af- every time your turn starts, y- you have interesting options. It's not just one option, but it's also these these options feel like sequential Mm. like it's not just i could do this or i could do that you feel like if i do this i could then go there and then i could do that and then that will get me that and and you're always um feeling very restricted like when a game showers you with with stuff like money or whatever right you go great i can spend this on something and you spend it and you realize wait a minute there's five other things i wanted to spend money on and like i've it's gone now right so it feels tense it feels interesting. It always presents you with multiple options. Uh, it's strategic and tactical at the same time. It's it's just one of the best encapsulations of what a Euro game is. I, I think I think it's approachable uh, for people who haven't necessarily played a heavier Euro game uh, because because it's intuitive. It's like you have a hand of cards. You want to manipulate that hand to get the best hand to the end of the road, right? But but also, it's one of these games where you're like, 
anytime you don't quite understand how a game works, it's very good at teaching you because it's saying, hey, this is what you should have done. And then the first time you play it, you just feel like you're sort of bumbling through it. But but at all times you feel like, oh, if I play this again, like I would do this or this or that or that. And it, it, it's full of that sensation. Great Western Trail Argentina is that exact game, but a little bit different. Mm. And in a way, that is sort of all I have to say about that, right? It does have ports. It does have ports. So, okay. So for those... For those who do know Great Western Trail and and want to know what's different, right? Um, they used to be the train track where you, you know, that's where you delivered the cows and then the train moved along. And then based on how far the train was along, th- those were the cities that you could deliver. And the further the train was, the, the better cities you could deliver to. And then you would get more points and so on and on. And that's sort of been decoupled. Yes. And, and, and now you have these these boats that you put the cows on and then they will leave at certain points in the game and they'll leave to different ports and take your cows which are now discs and then that disc uh will end up in liverpool or le havre or rotterdam not rome that's the beautiful south song yeah well done and then from there the cows could go on various spots in the city scoring you points or giving you money so it's sort of the decoupling of that mechanism. Mm. The train still moves. It still provides you with various abilities and, and bonuses. And that is still a bit of a race because there's only one person that can fill up each spot. Yeah. Each so station. In trains the hopscotch track. over each mm. other. Always fun and realistic. Just, you know. <laughs> That's what they do. Yeah. Right? They, they just jump over each other. Like I cows. I wish they did. Right. I mean, <laughs> like cows. Yeah. Uh, famous wow. for jumping. Mm-hmm. You, you might ask then, which, which one should I get? right or you might also ask if i have great western trail should i get Ar- should i get argentina as well and the answer isn't clear cut in either of those cases right mm. they are very similar games i would say that great western trail argentina just you know th- th- there's some there's there's a fourth type of worker there's a little bit more going on right mm. uh, and and it might make it a little bit more confusing to someone who's never played the game before, right? Um, so the natural inclination is to say, you probably just want to get Great Western Trail Argentina. However, what I would say is that you should ask yourself, what kind of a player are you? Are you a player who likes to play a good Euro game uh, and you think you're going to buy this and maybe play, you know, um, five times a year maximum, Right you're probably fine with Great Western Trail, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think what Great Western Trail Argentina does is it doesn't just decouple these mechanisms. It also makes it um, more strategically interesting for people who play Great Western Trail 50 times a year. Yeah, And, and I think if you're a person who likes to buy one game and really delve into the meat of that game, out of the two, you should buy Great Western Trail Argentina. Mm. And also, if you already have Great Western Trail, again, if you don't play it that often, you're probably fine. In fact, Great Western Trail has an expansion. If you're just looking for a little bit more, that would be a better purchase. However, if you are someone who is, um, you know, playing out Great Western Trail all the time and you already have it, 
and, and you, you want more strategic depth, I think Argentina is the one for you to get. That brings us to a pretty good comment that we've had uh, from Sparco that says, for what it's worth, if the original one is underplayed, I would not also get Argentina. I don't think it adds enough to make it more likely to hit the table if the original isn't. They are really two shades of the same system. And for my two cents, Great Western Trail is slightly more approachable. And I, I agree with that. I agree with that. So you played Great Western Trail Argentina. Did. How did you feel? I, I don't agree with you necessarily that Great Western Trail is approachable for someone who's not played Euro games. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Maybe if they have played board games. Yes. Um, and they understand that there are going to be 10 different things that you are expected to do at the same time. Yes. But not for someone that has never really played a board game. I don't think it's necessarily approachable because I think there is a lot of moving parts in that game. And I think there is even more in this game because as well as having to keep your eye on that train track, there is this all the boats are going to leave and not come back and you're going to lose an opportunity potentially to do something you wanted to do. Thank you for picking me up on that. Let me clarify what I meant. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't mean that this is just a game for anyone. Um, clearly, if you're buying Great Western Trail, if you want to buy Great Western Trail, you you need to come in with the attitude of, I want to play a complicated yes. strategy game, yeah. right? This is this is good for someone who wants a complicated strategy game and likes cows and eh, um, <laughs> but oh, hasn't wow. but hasn't played one right mm-hmm. yes this this is a good entryway into that world yeah uh-huh. if that makes sense agreed we also had a comment from Chris S saying I played Great Western Trail Argentina for the first time this past weekend. The original Great Western Trail is among my favourite games, and so Argentina is now also among them. I think the boat shipping is a good streamlined mechanism. However, I am not convinced that the cattle strength helping the farmers is a good way to solve the issues with the original game. I'm still thinking on it and need to play it a few more times, but it seems like an overcomplication. I do, however, like that they attempted to make the cattle cards useful for more than one thing while introducing an additional path to victory. Okay, let's talk a little bit about about the farmers and the strength and the cattle cards because that is another big addition uh, to the game and one that also didn't quite work for us. Um, So I think our problem was mainly that we played it as a two-player game Mm. and this is one of these mechanisms that just doesn't scale across player counts. Yeah, because there's no blocking spaces on the board for two players. Yes, exactly. So what you have is that the board... Uh, has multiple forking paths mm-hmm. and you also have buildings that and this is true for original great western trail as well when you play your buildings you can place them in strategic spaces sort of making it harder for others to pass because then they have to pay you money for passing through your building the alternative is to passing through spaces that have these like neutral workers mm-hmm. That that also leech money from you, but also clearing those workers grants you points. So it's like, it's 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 a kind of a living environment of like, you know. Yeah, it gives you a choice of what you want to do. Yeah, and you can manipulate this path. You yeah. can make it harder for other players. You can make it easier for yourself. It evolves as the game goes on. What they added here is that when you pay money to these workers, you don't pay it to the bank. You put it on the board, mm. and. And you you can, lend it to the workers. Yeah. And when you clear it off, the workers, when you clear off these workers, 
you're basically helping them out thematically. They, they pay, pay you. you that money. It's like a real economy. Yes. So it's a real economy that doesn't really quite work in a two-player game because it just doesn't happen enough. You just avoid it. Yeah, you just, <laughs> just you just it's spots. easier. It's it's less path and less effort. Because un- unless you get so many buildings out that you yeah. block off someone's path completely, there there is always a way to go around it in, exactly. in a two-player game. Yeah, and I I was very much I I was trying to even actively think how to utilize this mechanism. So I thought, well, if I just pass through these workers, you know, I dump all my money onto them, but then I build a building that clears it off and I can pick up that money. And it sort of works, but it requires me to build a building that does that where I can build something else. It's mm. it just it, it wasn't worth the effort because there was never enough peril to actually do <laughs> um, that. Yeah. Right? So it, it is a mechanism that works in a higher player account, but I don't think it scales well to two. Now, granted, I am not very experienced with this particular iteration of the system yet, so I might be wrong. That's mm. just my sort of preliminary kind of... Um, Experience. Yeah, this, yeah. Doesn't, this doesn't quite gel, and I don't want to engage with it, right? Um, so who knows? And it's a really final point that... that Absolutely no publisher in the right minds should ever be considering as a as an actual criticism, right? But because you have to put the money on the board now, and the spaces are precisely the size of, of, of the coin token, hmm. you can no longer use poker chip replacements <laughs> for the money. Yeah, that's definitely a you thing. That is a me thing, but but I have the fancy iron clays poker chips, and other people other people like to bring custom components to their games, right? And this is not a real criticism, but it did irk me that in original Great Western Trail, I could play with my poker chips, mm-hmm. like I can in Concordia, for example, another excellent Euro game that is very <laughs> poker chip friendly. But Great Western Trail Argentina is no longer poker chip friendly. No, a production issue that I actually. Do think Plan B should pay attention to is, is the, the vacuum tray. Anchors? No, oh. it's, it's the vacuum tray insert, plastic mm. insert that does not function because it doesn't hold all the components. Mm. So uh, the cards fly out from the they top, do, and yeah. they're not even sleeved, right? And I'm not saying you should sleeve your cards, but I'm saying even if they are unsleeved, they don't fit. Mm. So uh, and 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 all the so all the cardboard tiles have spaces into where they go. But all the other components, like the wooden bits, right? They just have this one little cubby where they don't all. It was just frustrating. Yeah, the, I was going to say. I thought you were going to say about the anchors, the colors of the anchors, because when you're uh, looking at the ships, there are three different colors of anchors. There's gray, brown, yes. and black. And unless you're staring at them, like literally from like uh-huh. an inch away, they are very hard to tell which one is which. So we got a little bit confused a couple of times about which boat was doing what. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I like the artwork in it. Oh, the uh, the Chris Williams artwork is. I as like always, the drawings of the cows. Very fantastic. They have, of course, just released details of Great Western Trail New Zealand, the third in the trilogy, oh, yes, which replaces all of the cows with sheep. It's going to be just sheep. I am so excited about... Because you like a sheep much better than a cow. Sheep are so much a superior animal to cows. You can't make a woolly jumper out of a cow. No. uh, A sheep is smarter than a cow and less dangerous than a cow. (laughs) 
You laugh because we nearly died that time. Oh, well, when the cow wanted to come in my car. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. And then it knocked my wing mirror off and broke it. Yeah. yeah. I remember that. And I said that to you. That was terrifying. I said to you, shall I wind up my window? <laughs> Will that stop it coming in? <laughs> I don't know. I was like, they did not teach you about cows when I was learning how to drive. They no, not- that that was so terrifying. <laughs> I don't like cows since then. A but lot. everyone else there, because they were used to it, I guess. They were just yeah. like, oh, look, there's a cow, whatever. And they were just crossing the road and didn't mm. care about the cows at all. They're obviously there all the time. We we were the ones who were intruding on the cow's land, yeah. not the other way around. Also, apologies to our vegan and vegetarian listeners, but sheep just taste so much better than cows. That's it. I just had to say that. It's a superior animal. You look you look upset. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. I love a sheep. If you have any comments, questions or anything else, you can get in touch with us via Elaine at nopunincluded.com. Shall we move on to Aeon Trespass Odyssey? First impressions. Aeon Trespass Odyssey comes from publisher Into the Unknown by designers Martin Welnicki and artists Bartek Fedijak, Piotr Gasek and Mateusz Lenart. And a review copy sent to us by Into the Unknown. Um, so I, I would like to preface this with uh, the email I received from the publisher mm. when they got in touch with us initially and how they pitched Aeon Trespass Odyssey to us and got my personal interest so i'm not going to read the full email just want to read the paragraph in question the team has spent three years on this labor of love and we have created a tight combat gameplay loop engrossing co-op and exploration mechanics along with a rich beautiful world filled to the brim with unique thoughtful stories those stories might be of particular interest to you as they don't shy from politics and contemporary issues, taking a critical look at various topics like discrimination, propaganda, nihilism or toxic masculinity. We wish to speak about these things through our games as we are convinced that our medium is capable of becoming so much more than what it is right now. Isn't that a great email? Isn't that, that a great paragraph? That is a great paragraph and I am not sure what to feel about that right now. Mm-hmm. In our experience of Aeon Trespass Odyssey, and it isn't full, I haven't really seen anything that relates to this specific paragraph mm-hmm. so far in a positive or negative way. However, when I took that at face value, I also did not realize that the publisher Into the Unknown had a second Kickstarter for something called Aeon Trespass Nymphs. Mm. Now, Nymphs was not... It was just a miniature line that is aesthetically tied to the Aeon Trespass world. However, whereas all the characterization and artwork in Aeon Trespass Odyssey is very much non-exploitative, the Nymphs um, uh, Kickstarter is a miniature line that depicts women in the most um, just completely exaggerated male gaze poses with nudity, I might add. Um, And... And, and I don't know how to feel about that. I don't know um, how to sort of reconcile this paragraph and, and this entirely separate Kickstarter project that is tied to this game from the same company, but is working very much against that. And so um, the, the, the project itself labels itself as pinup and stuff like that, you know. Okay. Um, and, and I will also say that there is some body positivity in it. Mm-hmm. Right, but that body positivity is not featured on the front banner because those 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 characters are relegated 
towards the bottom of the project page, you know, mm. like where they're not quite clearly front and center visible, right? And I am also not speaking against, you know, sex positivity or anything like that. I think that's fine. But 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 that Kickstarter very much leans towards male gaze and you know that kind of thing. It's all women. They're all I haven't seen it. So hypersexualized. It's not a great look, hmm. right? So I just wanted this has nothing to do with the game, right? Hmm. I just wanted to preface that because I just don't know how to reconcile that, and no one has spoken about this, so I thought I'd bring this up. I don't know. I think it is important to show people in all kinds of different ways. Um, and if they are going for body positivity, then I am definitely all for that. Um, because you're going to show it to me now and I'm going to go, what? <laughs> okay. All right. Show it to me first. That might be a good idea. <laughs> oh, your eyes just went big. I, d I, I have no words. Um, I've have many thoughts and no words, uh, on, on this. I, I, is the art based on Greek myths? Is that the idea? I think that, so. So I don't know anything about Greek art and I know very little about Greek myths. Is is this representative of, of that? That's that's my question, really, because I just saw I a lot... I think this of, is representative of something else. I just saw a lot of bums and a lot of uh, people with very tiny skirts, which I'm all for, but in quite seductive poses. And I have not seen any different... They, they mentioned that they include normal body types. I've not seen any normal body types. I think you have to scroll really further down, Elaine. To see those. Really further down. I see. Really further down? Yeah, I think there are some. But but still still very hypersexualized in all cases. Yeah, they are a bit, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> why i don't know why you would feed your sheep in like nothing wearing nothing i think that would be a health and safety risk because oh. sheep if they're any if, like lambs i mean if they're anything like puppies they're very nibbly um and i would not want to feed my sheep I, oh i think they're giving the the sheep milk or goats or something or other i don't know anyway but no it just it doesn't seem practical what these people are wearing to do the jobs that they're doing, mm -hmm. uh, honestly. But uh, I think the Greeks were pretty uh, yeah, sexualized, no, sure. weren't they? Uh, but so. I think what's also important to note is that, you know, uh, board gaming is... is a <gasps> There's a nipple. <laughs> There's a nipple in this. Free the nipple. Hashtag, right? Yeah. Uh, it's important to note that board gaming is a very male-dominated hobby, and this is directly catering to male audiences. I don't know what to say about this, honestly. I don't know how to feel about this. I don't know how to reconcile that email and this Kickstarter no, project. No, and, and what it says at the beginning of this Kickstarter project of we want to represent all different types of people mm -hmm. and have you have you have you you i guess you've scrolled through yeah it, I, i'm at the bottom now yeah. yeah i am at the bottom of this and they all are very disrobed mm -hmm. um with like wisps uh like a botticelli you know like little yeah. wisps yeah uh yeah. covering their their bits or like bits of um, leaf or something, you know, like that. Mm -hmm. But but you know, I don't know if Ad Adam and Eve, like, and Greek art, 
if if it was that kind of thing where it's it's all very innocent i don't know but from a modern perspective i guess it doesn't look it, it's not a good look <laughs> yeah no it isn't uh so i wanted to put that out there but we can move on and yeah. Talk about our experience because again, very consciously I think these two projects were decoupled. Um mm. because we're not talking about Aeon Trespass no, Nims. We are talking about Aeon Trespass Odyssey. But I wasn't gonna not mention this, so there you go. Um Aeon Trespass Odyssey, uh we're gonna do a video of this. Um is a game that I am very comfortable. I know some people are gonna argue. But I just, there, there's no argument in my mind. Aeon Trespass Odyssey is the most complicated board game in the world. <laughs> and I think not even just the most, but, but by a good long shot. Having said that, it is a game I have found myself enjoying. Now, I'm going to work very hard in this first impression to dissuade people from Aaron Trespass Odyssey, because despite me having enjoyed the game and having had a pretty good time with with a lot of concession towards towards the format that it comes and 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 what it is and what it's trying to do and how it's trying to teach itself to you, mm. um, I, I still managed to find myself experiencing something that I haven't necessarily experienced before. And finding within it a game that I found interesting to play. Mm -hmm. Now, having said that, all the usual caveats, right? Um, big miniature Kickstarter. Uh, this uh, falls into the genre of boss battler, which if you're not familiar with it, basically think dungeon crawler. But instead of fighting goons and goons and goons, you fight one big enemy. And you're trying to, you know, tactically and strategically figure out how to overcome it. Not only that, but... Um, so Aaron Trespass comes with three massive campaigns, <laughs> not just one, right? One campaign isn't enough. There's three of them. We but, are still on the first one. That's yeah, why this is a, a we first We are at the beginning of the first one. Yeah. Um, but you're also uh, in the first campaign, you will primarily be fighting the same two boss monsters, right? So in the first one, it's the Hecaton, which mm -hmm. is the, the hundred handed. Um, Entirely made of hands. Arms or, oh, or arm, fingers, sorry, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, or there's the Labyrinthorus, which is, as you can imagine, a big bull. There is another monster you will find. They're called Primordials within this, uh, which is the boss of, of the first campaign. And there's, there also might be an adversary, which is something that chases you, which are all things we haven't experienced yet, right? Mm -hmm. In fact, we haven't even fought against the Labyrinthorus. We just fought against the Hecaton twice. Um, and, uh, the trick here, however, is that each time you fight the Hecaton or the Labyrinthoros, they advance in level and gain new abilities and become more formidable. And that mildly terrifies me because just the level one Hecaton was pretty formidable. Thank you very much. The level zero was too. Well, level zero yeah. was too. Yeah. But, but, but the level one, one was like, oh, okay, this, wow. Oh, how how do i do this how oh okay and we did it we actually did it um and, and that was quite felt like quite an achievement it felt like quite a moment like we actually pulled this out of our hat and your arms lifted right up in the air yeah right yeah, you did like a proper cheer there was excitement there was emotion there was elation 
But also there was a lot of brawls. So <laughs> let's talk about how Air and Trespass works, right? On the surface, it's pretty simple. You have your miniature. Uh, the miniature walks up to the big, big miniature, hits it with whatever thing that you have in your hand. And or your hands yeah, themselves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you'll 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 do hopefully some damage. Do enough damage, you'll kill it, right? How do you hit it? Well, uh, for depending on the weapon that you have, you roll some d10s. If you roll above a certain value, that's a hit. Is that good enough? No. Then you have to draw a BP card, which is a body part card that will say, "Hey, this is the armor value that you need to penetrate." That you'll take an entirely different d6, a custom d6. And then you roll a number of those based on the things that you have and also how many hits you scored. And then if you p pass the A and Trespass value, which is the armor that these Primordials have, you will score a wound, meaning you get to take that BP card and put it in the wound pile. But wait, that's not it. Because, because different BP cards not only have different armor values that you need to overcome, but also they have different effects based on whether you fail, whether you hit, or you create critically succeed against the primordial that you're fighting so any any of these could happen for example you could draw a card that has an air and trespass value of five and you roll some dice and you get only two and you're like i can't even re-roll these what happens well you look at the crit fail section turns out you take a bunch of damage and it knocks you back into a building and then the building collapses you collapse um <laughs> And 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 that's that's just a simple scenario in this game, right? You also could just kill the primordial early because you might score a critical hit, draw a BP card that says if if you score a critical and you actually manage to hit the air and trespass value, it just dies. Or or better yet, how about this, right? So instead of Instead of it dying, it might attack you, deal you some damage, right? And every time you're dealt damage in this game, which isn't damage, it's called danger, mm -hmm. right? And that's important. We'll get to that later. You take some danger and you're like, okay, I have to refer to my danger chart. And based on that danger chart, I have to draw a card, right? From four different decks uh, based on how much danger I have. If I have little danger, I draw from the minor trauma deck, Major trauma, grave trauma, and then obel, right? And what is that? Is that good? Is that bad? Trauma sounds bad. No, it could be good. It could be amazing. In fact, the more danger you have, the more danger to you, but also the more dangerous you become. It's entirely likely that uh, you draw a grave trauma and that grave trauma says, hey, you get to perform a free attack action now mm -hmm. and you get all these bonuses or whatever, right? The more danger the more variance. So what this game becomes, and this game pushes you all of the time, constantly. Some of these attack dice you can re-roll, right? How do you re-roll them? For every attack dice you want to re-roll, increase your fate. What does that do? At the moment, nothing. But if you go over nine fate, you might die or whatever. But but put that aside for a little bit, right? <laughs> you, you, you might draw a card when the hecaton attacks you and says if you're over that threshold of fate you take extra damage right so you re-rolled you re-rolled you believed in yourself you took that chance thinking this is moment is important and somewhere later down the line the game might we'll say yeah you will regret it right and what this produces is this remarkable sense of um 
you can manipulate this game in so many different ways. Mm. But the further it goes, the more unpredictable it gets. And you have to really believe in what you're trying to achieve. When you take these risks, you have to believe that these risks are worth it. And the tension that creates is something like I've never experienced in a game before. So you now might ask Efka, what is the cost? And I don't mean just monetary, which is hundreds of pounds. Currently unavailable, but I hear they are doing a reprint for the Kickstarter campaign in a couple of months or something like that. So we'll have a video before that is out where we've played the game more and have more of a handle. But there is also the cost and effort of getting this to the table, right? Because you can't just play this. No, you know, a board game that you just break out and play. No, no, no. Forget about that. Um, There is a learn-to-play manual, but the learn-to-play manual forces you to sit down with the other players. And in fact, whilst you can skip the tutorial, it is highly not recommended by the rulebook and also not by me. uh, Because I I read the rulebook after the learn-to-play manual. It's 80 pages. Mm that are much denser than the 80 pages, let's say, to Frosthaven, right? And I still felt half of the time, it's like, I just don't know what any of this means. Um, um, uh, and, and the learn-to-play isn't thin either, right? And it just takes you step by step by step by step by step of every moment in the game. So it plays out like something like two rounds of the Hecaton battle at level zero of the Hecaton, where it literally says, draw out this card, do this thing, you roll these dice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So you read all of that out together. Read, 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 read. My voice went hoarse at the end of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, 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 And then... You know, it lets you play a little bit, but of course you feel like you just, you know, you're a baby bird that, bird that just been dumped from the tree by their parent mm-hmm. and said, fly now, right? So we sort of cobbled through that battle. But then that's not where the game ends because on top of this massively complicated battle system, there is also the seventh continent exploration yes. style game bolted onto it with a storybook and, and choices choices and map tiles but whereas this i mean three times the complexity of seventh continent mm-hmm. as well because various phases yeah, sub phases this, this. technology decks mm-hmm. and uh uh factions that you gain diplomacy or you go to war with um matrixes that you mark off you know uh just just an enormous amount of mechanisms that i have to say regretfully feel purposeful you know i am starting to get it i'm starting to get the feel of what this game is trying to achieve because like we started playing the main story not just tutorial story and it's like you know well here's a faction uh these these are the guys you need to get in good with right you know make friends mm-hmm. and you're like but these friends seem really shady right <laughs> and they're sending spies and i don't how do, do go explore the world with them oh 
you know, and, and it's it's done in that way that makes you ask questions, makes it interesting and compelling. I have not seen anything that speaks about toxic masculinity yet, or no, or, very, or any of these issues, you know, new to this uh, that were mentioned in the email. We we are quite new, and we'll definitely keep playing and exploring whether the main game itself explores these topics and in what way does it explore these topics. The final thing I will say that left somewhat of a lasting impression is is the world of Aaron Trespass Odyssey is based on Greek mythology. Uh, some things are recognisable. Um, one of the main things I haven't mentioned about this game is that you don't even play you. You play you that then goes into a green pool of liquid and embodies a 30-foot titan mm. um, that it controls like an avatar that battles these giant primordials. So you're a 30-foot person swinging a club that is literally made out of a ship, mm -hmm. you know, or you have a shield half that is made ship. half yeah. a ship, yeah, a shield <laughs> that's made out of a half of a trirem, right? Yeah. Um, and and so th the style and the artwork is quite evocative. Um, it's it's done in a way you refer to it as 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 that Rhoda's clotted cream cup artwork, yeah. right? And and that's what it looks like. It, please Google Rhoda's clotted cream and. <laughs> you'll know what we mean but it's good it, it looks really nice and evocative and it has these you know like strange moments like you play as amnesiacs as well you play as the argonauts that embody these titans and and you don't know who you are but you get glimpses of memories and these glimpses happen to be ability cards mm. that have their own experience system and keywords each and... card has its own experience chart mm. And then it grants you more abilities and then eventually leads to a story bit and you fly on a giant city ship mm. and there's, there's a lot going on. And there's a lot of these this, you know, Greek mythology that crops up, but not necessarily in a way that feels true to Greek mythology, but in a way that feels interesting. It feels like a subversion rather than a, a direct retelling, if you, if you will. So, you know, like... Olympian gods have died. The eschaton ha has mm. happened, which is the end of the world mm. in, 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 in Greek mythology, you know. And the titans aren't titans like they were in Greek myths. The titans are these mindless animals, right? Mm. And so everything feels odd and displaced and not quite right and surreal and um, bizarre, peculiar, compelling. <laughs> nice. Nice summary of the game. Yeah, I I struggled a lot, I think, with how complicated this is to get into. Mm -hmm. um, I enjoy a complicated game, um, but I think, you know, I think you have to go into this game knowing that it's not going to be a game that you get out and learn and play in an evening or uh, like start the campaign in an evening happy happily in your group all the players that play this need to be invested in what is going on immediately from the get-go um because there will be a lot of looking up rules there will be a lot of working out how different things are going to function in this mm. game and and referring back to things um and for me, like I, I think I said to you when we were playing, it really appeals to your sense of chaos, mm. um, and I, it doesn't appeal to my sense of 
spreadsheets. Yeah. <laughs> I want everything to be in order. That working, was remarkably honest. <laughs> working nicely. Um, uh-huh. uh, I want everything to be in little boxes working nicely. Yeah. I want to know what it does, how it does it. and and You don't get that in this game at all. No. <laughs> the game is a mystery. It's a puzzle box that you unravel. And not only a puzzle box, it's a highly stressful puzzle box. Yeah. Because the combat is... So when we played against the Hecaton last night, um, the, the second time, second time go around, you said, we, we, we spent two hours doing this and we scored two wounds. Mm-hmm. Slight exaggeration, probably. You yeah, know, that was about right, I think. Yeah. yeah. Like, we need to score 10. <laughs> How are we ever going to do this? And then it, and then it ramped up. Really escalated. Yeah. We were like, I said, well, you know, we, we, we scored a wound against the BP1 card. And then every time you score a wound, you take this level one body part card and place it in the wound pile. But then you put in a level two one into the deck. So suddenly they're harder to hit. Mm-hmm. But you also take out one of the AI cards, which determines what they do. Mm-hmm. And then you put a level two one in, mm-hmm. right? And then if you score a hit against the level two one, you take the level two ones out. You put the level three ones in. So it so becomes... It gets harder yeah. and harder. And, and But you don't get any better. No. You, know, you just get more damaged. And the um, funny thing that happened was that like you said that you said like how long is this going to take and we had this ai free card on top because we scored one wound against the bp1 card yeah. then bb2 card then we had to put in the ai free card and yeah. we shuffled it and it just so happened to be on top and we went okay we need to walk the dog let's go yeah. walk the dog and then we'll come back and finish this and so we 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 got back. We drew the AI free card, and then all hell broke loose. <laughs> yeah, it did, didn't it? Because suddenly it was just this cascade of actions and reactions, and like it did a zone attack where it attacked everything. And then it, and and you said this is going to be bad. Yeah, right. Like, and it was pretty bad. It was pretty Two bad. Two of us died. Two of our um, Titans died. Titans died. Yeah. yeah, but and in fact, <laughs> the funny thing was. Like, you drew a major trauma card that said, Heroic Death, you just die. But you get to perform a free attack, right? Yeah. I don't... How did you feel about that? Because at that point, to me, it was just funny. But, like... I I think it was funnier when uh, my second Titan was about to die. And... Mm. Well, no, I had to take a trauma card for yeah. my second Titan. And it was going to be a bad one. And I said, I'm going to die, aren't I? And you drew it and it was called A Fate Worse Than Death. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, I get the idea of this game now. <laughs> like, it makes so much more sense. Uh, I didn't... Uh, once we started playing again after we walked the dog and it yeah. kind of ramped up, it, it was more enjoyable mm. uh, because things were happening. And I think by that point, we I guess we had kind of learned what we needed to to do yeah. and how to do it yeah. for that particular scenario. Take chances in an increasingly complex system that perpetually escalates and and just yeah. ramps up to a very silly degree. Yeah, and, and by the end of it, it was down to a dice roll whether we were going to succeed or not. Yeah. And we did. We did, yeah. And uh, you got very excited about it. I did get very excited mm. about it because we only lost two titans. And I was just very tired by yeah. that point. <laughs> you said... All right, I'm going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Yeah. Well, it was it was a big fight. Yeah. Uh, but it, but that second like act, if you like, only took us probably about another hour and a half in in its entirety. Maybe even not that. I think maybe less because maybe an hour. again, it just 
it's that one card escalated everything. We went from we scored two wounds yeah. to we scored six wounds, yeah. and it was it. The funny part from that was that like it, it we weren't even attacking it; it was attacking us. Mm. But we kept drawing cards that let us attack it back mm. when it was hitting us, and then it was our turn, and we suddenly were hitting it. You know, and it just things happen. Oh, this this I forgot to mention this lovely mechanism of each time you attack the primordial you get to put like these little tokens in, in a pool yes. for the next player so you don't get to use them but the next player will and they'll make the attack easier or the penetrating the armor easier uh you know lots of different mitigations and the more the more times you attack the more rage you have which again if you have too much you'll you'll just rage out and that's bad but meanwhile, it's providing you with all these bonuses. You get to put more of these tokens in. So it, it is perpetual escalation and perpetual variance. Mm -hmm. my, my main worries going into the campaign further will be, does it feel dull to play against the same monsters? Because I saw how they evolve. Like the, the next level of the Hecaton will be like, if it pushes you off the edge of the map, you just die. Mm -hmm. You know, and mm -hmm. it likes to push things yes, a lot. Does. Um, and, and, uh, so that will feel different, I imagine, right? Uh, and, and we haven't even tried the Labyrinth Horus yet, but, but we will keep battling them over and over again. And I appreciate that they do change up, but I want to know whether that change feels, how meaningful it feels, right? Yeah, I, I, I think maybe that might be a good thing because you've seen this monster, you've dealt yeah. with it before, and it's doing the same thing but a bit worse and mm. you're ramping up what you do to it and how you do and you've already dealt with it so you kind of know what it's going to do and what kind of attacks it's going to do it's not a surprise that it's going to mm. push you or it's going to knock you down and then you're going to have to get back up again like Chumba Wumba but and you're going to miss a turn for doing that I should clarify one thing I said yeah. I played two Titans and you played two Titans yes because we're playing a two-player game you yeah. don't normally have to play two titans if you're playing a four player, four player game. game but there have to be four right all the time yeah all all the time yeah. unless you don't have enough titans which in which case bad things well, have happened yeah but well that's another thing yeah. they're, they're expendable these titans that you pilot are mm. expendable so they are a resource that you yeah. use and they will die but you don't die as a character but then you get to breed different strains <laughs> yes. as well this this just goes so in so many directions and it sounds mad. I appreciate that. Uh -huh. I, I think I've probably lost it because I, I am somehow enjoying this, right? It's, I just really want to very clearly preface this. Don't get this if you haven't played board games, complicated <laughs> board games, for some years now. Because mm. this is just a level of complexity I have never seen, personally. Yeah. Do not get this. If, if you don't like dungeon crawlers, do not get this. If you don't have a group of people who will sit through this learn to play tutorial where you read the entire thing and there's like 30 or 40 pages or something like that. Don't get it if you're a singer or some kind of an announcer that needs their voice the next day. Yeah. Uh, do not get it if you don't have the space for a game that not only do you have to set up on a giant table, but also... 
where you have to reset between the Titan, the uh, primordial battles, mm-hmm. and then the world exploration, because these are two separate things that have their own separate setups and stuff like that. Uh, we are playing because we have the one of the gaming tables. We have dual layers, so the so the bottom layer is is all the world exploration stuff, and then we put the slats on top, and then we put the battle on. It's just, it is so very. For board gamers who have been board gaming for a long time and, you know, Gloomhaven, it makes Gloomhaven look like Munchkin, right? That's that's <laughs> what we're talking about here. Be very wary of this. But maybe if you want that kind of thing, I don't think this is necessarily a bad game. It, in fact, might be pretty great. I think this is a good time to bring in this comment from Summer Here Kids. Uh, they say, me and a friend spent a weekend getting into Aeon Trespass, which included a very tedious unboxing, a fairly competent tutorial, and the first proper week of the game. And at the end, we got our asses kicked. My initial thoughts are that the game is shockingly well written, but the spectre of hardcore difficulty and the risk of having to restart a very, very long campaign is dampening my enthusiasm. Also, it's fiddly to a ridiculous degree. It's so fiddly. And and unpacking this game was just a nightmare. It needed a much better guide. We also couldn't find half the cards because they were somewhere and we didn't know which bit we were supposed to be unpacking. so many cards. It was like (laughs) ether fields all over again. (laughs) Yeah, it was, wasn't it? I think this is a great comment because, again, I I, I found that high variance compelling for now. But if it... There are... When I read the rule book, there were like maybe eight different ways you lose the campaign. And then it said... Oh, there's more that you might discover along the way. Oh, yay. (laughs) I don't want to restart this, right? I just, I don't think that's fun. I I don't think that's fun for anyone. No, we do have, there is a resource that you can spend, uh, that you can redo a A battle battle if you need to. And I don't know how much that is going to influence or come up uh, in the game. Like, are those going to come up every so often so that you don't necessarily have to restart if you lose a battle. And I think that's fine. But my my point is more that I think you can lose the game outside of battles. Oh, I see. You can lose the game in many different ways outside of battles. Oh, exciting. And see, not. I think I think their design ethos was this is this could go either way, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's fine for battles, right? Mm-hmm. But the sort of like you just lose the campaign hard stop. When you have invested so much into yeah, it already. Yeah, that's been outdated for a while now. It's a bit like player elimination. Yeah, it's not exactly the the highest watermark of design ethos. And it worries me quite a bit. And I guess we'll, we'll, we'll you know, we'll see we'll how see. it goes for us. Yeah. Uh, whether you have to... Re- I, I, I'm getting the sense that the story can pull you in many different directions... And and again, the matrices will probably impact a lot of stuff. Mm. <laughs> I say that half facetiously. I do mean it, actually, because there are matrices that say, like, oh, if you chose this option, we will remember that, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and, <laughs> ominously. Yeah, ominously. And it seems to have already had an impact. So that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. But, but also, if it's just like, you made an arbitrary choice... And now you lose. I am not going to enjoy but that. Is, and I is, think that's bad design. Is the story part all down to what 
um, factions you're aligning yourself with, I don't know, and how that's going to affect the game. That, yeah. If that is the only thing that the story part is influencing, I, I don't know how compelling that is. Well, it depends on how good the story itself is, well, that's right? True. We don't know yet. That's true. We also have a comment from Fen who says, full disclaimer, I know Martin Welnicki, the creator director for Aeon Trespass Odyssey, and I've been mentioned on both their ATO and Kingdoms Forlorn Kickstarters, so possibly bias. I'm also a lover of Greek mythology, so possibly more bias. I've played a lot of mechanical boss battling formula from KDM and both made it more accessible to the general gaming crowd, not just with the aesthetic, but also mechanically. The Escalation and Rage slash Triskelion systems do a wonderful job of making the battles ramping up to high action and high stakes instead of winding down. So I've never played Kingdom Death Monster. Mm. Um, I've looked into that game quite a bit uh, because it is a preposterously expensive game much more expensive than Aeon Trespass um, because this there were, I remember when it was on Kickstarter there were like pledges that were going above a thousand pounds and I was like mm, this is wow. just ludicrous um, and I, when I looked into the rules I was like this is just tables upon tables upon tables this is less that the system here is a lot more dynamic so whilst I can't speak Having had actual experience of Kingdom Death Monster, I, I think this is just a game that feels that it, ha that it has a more dynamic design to it. Yeah, I don't, as I said, I don't really know anything about Greek mythology. Mm -hmm. um, so I, th I think if you really love Greek mythology, there will be a lot in this that you go, oh, that's this or that. Sort that. of like that, but subverting it. Yeah, well, that's what you said. It yeah, feels yeah, yeah, disquieting. Yeah. Yes, um, it definitely does. It, it feels like this isn't quite right. This isn't quite how I remember it, you know? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's compelling. I think that's fun. Mm. Mm. That's all the games. If you have anything to say about any of them, don't forget to drop me an email, elaine at nopunincluded.com, or if you have any general questions or comments like this. We've had a suggestion from Ballas saying, it's probably a very long shot, but you should definitely try getting Jimmy Mr. Beast Donaldson on the show for an interview, since he indicated on multiple occasions that he's a huge board game enthusiast. Well, um don't know quite how to begin here i will say that if you are a fan of mr beast i uh, i am in no way trying to invalidate that i think it's obvious where this is how this is gonna go uh in enjoy what you enjoy good on you um uh, i would never invite mr beast not that mr beast would ever agree to be on this podcast let's have like no illusions and i'm not criticizing them as a person i, I don't know who they are go them right but but what they do i have some issues with it it resembles too much uh of what people have dubbed billionaire philanthropy i'm not sure that mr beast is a billionaire maybe he is i don't know um but there's a lot of what they do where they spend money um to improve certain individual lives let's mm -hmm. say um and and then put that on YouTube, um, which I sh I'm sure generates them a lot of ad revenue and stuff like that because they, they are the most popular YouTuber in the world apparently. Um, and I mean, uh, hooray that they've done a good, but also they're doing absolutely nothing to address the systemic issues that 
that make those people's lives horrible to begin with, right? Mm. Uh, they, they often buy a house for someone, but they don't address, you know, the existence of homeless shelters or poverty or, or, or any of that, right? Um, they cured someone's blindness, but they do nothing to address the systemic issues that make curing these curable diseases very expensive for regular people. It's stuff like that, right? I'm not going to go into it too much. Um, Abigail Thorne recently did a video on on the subject, not directly, but it is somewhat relating to billionaire philanthropy. It's her latest video. Please go watch that on Philosophy Tube. Put in a into YouTube billionaire philanthropy and explore the issue in depth. Um, uh, but but I'm morally quite opposed to what they do, so I, I would never invite them on the show. But I appreciate um, that people are writing in and suggesting people that we should have on. And in no way I, do I want this to come across as, as, as a mark on the person who, you know, wrote yeah. in. I, I really, really appreciate you writing in and suggesting something. It just really happens to be the type of person that we really wouldn't like to have on our show. And that's all the cardboard for now. Thank you so much for listening. On our next podcast, we'll be talking about Hoplomachus Remastered, That Time You Killed Me, and the traditional Japanese card game, Koi Koi. So if you have any words of wisdom or any questions about those, please do let us know. In the meantime, Efka... If they want more pun-free fun, where can they find it? Uh, they could go to youtube.com slash no pun included, which is our YouTube channel where we have all our video scripted board game reviews. We recently had a review on Haplomachus Victorum, a one-player only game from Chip Theory Games that I had some very critical words to say about. And, and it generated a discussion. I'm happy that it did. Uh, otherwise you can find more excellent reviews we've recently reviewed paperback adventures a one player only game uh, and and you know other good videos we did frost haven go watch that it's pretty good and let's not forget if you do enjoy the show a lot you can support us on patreon patreon.com slash no included that's where you donate us money every month and in return you might find some extra tidbits uh, we don't focus on that too much uh, because we spend most of our time just making these shows. Uh, and and also, you get to join in on our Discord, which is just a really nice place on the internet where you can talk about board games and ask these questions. It has a tab for Talk Cardboard. Um, you can post questions. I'm there. Elaine's there. Um, we talk to people on, on various subjects. <laughs> talk about books pets. and pets and <laughs> outside and board games. And lastly, what is the game of this episode? That's tough. I think maybe a tie for me between Yokai Septet and Aaron Trespass Odyssey. I went both ways. <laughs> yeah, that's that's about two very different games. I'm happy with that. Mm-hmm. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. And for the person who said they were upset that we no longer said goodbye, Elaine. Why don't you say goodbye, Elaine? Goodbye, Elaine. The episode has ended. Yeah. We 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 actually finished recording. Uh, had, had something some food, to eat. <laughs> uh, had a cup of tea, watched a shut up and sit down video. And then suddenly I went, oh my gosh. You I haven't, forgot a thing. You, you haven't told me what, what the no. thing is. It's going to be really disappointing now after all this you, build up. You, you started the episode with the trivia question. Mm. And then you said, I'm going to tell you at the end what it is. 
and you haven't told well, me. Well, have you thought about it? Have you thought what it might be? I have, I have no idea. I'm sorry. It's Wingspan. So there's a documentary in 2001 called 2001 called Wingspan. Yeah, I'm, I'm so disappointed it's in about, myself. Can you guess what it's about? Who it's about? Birds. No. Planes. It's a musical. Oh, it's not a musical. So it's about music. It, music. What? So who was in a band that has the kind? Oh, of... Oh no, it's Paul McCartney, isn't it? <laughs> it's Paul McCartney. Well, that's it, folks. That was tall cardboard and. Paul McCartney. What a disappointing ending. Goodbye, everyone.